I am blessed with a very excitable son. My 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old little boy, Clark, loves the Christmas season. Oh boy, does he love it. Every single time we drive by his Mimi and Papa's house, he will point out the lights. They have a lighted nativity that's all lights. It's just lights. And he sees that and he goes wild. Oh, does he love it. He wanted the Christmas tree up so badly and kept pointing to where he wanted the tree to go. And so I waited till there was a day where he was out of school, but I still had work. And I pulled the tree out and let them go crazy. Some of you remember my antipathy towards setting up Christmas decorations. I enjoy them. I do not enjoy the construction and building and arranging of them. That doesn't suit me. And so I came home and my house was beautifully decorated. I love it. And Clark was very, very excited. His very favorite thing to point to during the Christmas run is a nativity set. He loves the nativity sets. He will point out and he wants to watch baby Jesus. He wants to tell you there is baby Jesus. He is excited. He loves it. Oh boy, does he love it. And one of the most exciting things to him in all the nativity is the angel. Oh, he loves the angels. And so, he doesn't speak clearly to those who are untrained with his, his vocabulary. And so, the way that he pronounces the word angel is to say, HL. And he says, HL, HL. And he is very, very excited about it. Well, over at Mimi and Papa's house, they have a nativity set. Made by Fisher Price, it's the Little People nativity set. And on that nativity set is an angel is a pretty little angel. Oh, you can see almost like a star wand and a star, you know, crown. And oh, just a nice, very sweet angel. And when you press this angel down, there's a star just beneath atop the stable that starts to play a Christmas song. And some of you remember, because your kids had this same set. He loves it. Well, Mimi and Papa were so kind that last week they took us down to Branson to see Miracle of Christmas, and Clark got to see a great number of actors playing angels. He got to see them flowing their beautiful gowns, and he got to see wire work where there were angels flying above, and he was in hog heaven. He loved it. Boy, was he excited. It was even more exciting to him than an angel like this. Now, sometimes we don't always have this particular view of an angel. Sometimes when we think about an angel, we might think of more of a feminine-looking, beautiful angel outside near Christmas. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, to wish everyone a happy Christmas. Yes, and sometimes we think about angels because angels make an appearance in two very, very important times of the year, Christmas and Easter. No doubt about it, you're going to hear about angels during the Christmas run. Because they're there. Of course they're there. Gabriel speaks to Joseph in a dream. Says, don't worry, you can take Mary as your wife. In fact, give him the name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you are going to become pregnant. How can this be? She says, I'm a virgin. I'm betrothed. I'm not even fully married yet. And Gabriel says, with God, all things are possible. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and you are going to become pregnant. You're going to carry God's Messiah. Yahweh saves. In fact, all of the angels show up. The entire host of heavenly angels show up to the shepherds, and they start singing and proclaiming. 
It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Of course, angels also make an appearance at the resurrection, rolling away a stone in front of the tomb, pointing to where Jesus told the disciples to go. Angels show up. But I don't love Clark's view of angels. And I don't particularly love this view of an angel. That's fine. But have you ever asked yourself, why would the entire host of angels show up to the little town of Bethlehem? Why Why would they do that? Especially when the word host is an army word. Why would the entire angel armies come? Well, it's because there was a war raging. And when I think about angels, I think about something more like this. Yes, yes, you're pointing towards battle. You're pointing towards the right way. And our glorious protectors are there ready to do their job. Oh, it was no mere silent night. All was not calm. All was not quiet on that night Jesus was born. There was a war waging. But so many of us miss it. So many of us miss it. And it's because we are not trained to peer through the window to the divine. So many of us know the Christmas story so well. We all have it down. We know what's coming. We understand, oh, sure enough. And, and there's this young couple, Joseph and Mary, and they're betrothed, engaged to be wed. And she becomes pregnant. Joe is not particularly pleased with this at first. But God's angels explain the situation, and he takes her as his wife anyway. Well, they're told that they need to leave Nazareth and they need to go down to Bethlehem because everybody's supposed to go to their ancestral home, and being from the line of David, they have to go to Bethlehem. And of course, the trip is arduous. She's pregnant, and by the time they get there, there's no room in the inn. Caesar Augustus has made his decree. He wants his taxes. He wants his census numbers. And now there is no place for them to sleep. And so she gives birth to her child, her firstborn, in a manger, in a stable, lays him in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then we see that shepherds who are nearby, and they're not mere shepherds. They're shepherds of the flock that will be used in Jerusalem just around the corner for the sacrifices. They were special shepherds. They were shepherds who raised the little lambs of God to be sacrificed. And now the entire host of angels proclaims the good news and declares that the true lamb of God, the Messiah, has been born and they are to go explore this thing about which the angels have spoken. We all know the story. My intent during this Christmas run is to help you peer beyond the physical realm into the spiritual realm. Seeing that it's not merely the physical realm that we occupy. There is a spiritual realm that overlays the physical. And it is my prayer, just as Elisha prayed in 2 Kings chapter 6, that his servant's eyes would be opened. For his servant surveyed the land and the enemy's army had surrounded. But Elisha grinned and said, those on our side are greater than those on theirs. How can this be? We're surrounded. And so Elisha, that great prophet, prayed, God, Yahweh Almighty, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And he was afforded the opportunity to peer through the window into the divine. And he saw the chariots of fire. He saw the heavenly army of angels ready to protect 
those whom Yahweh has called, and he was ready. Elisha, funnily enough, leads them astray, praying for their eyes to be shut. Yes, when we pray for our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive, we are asking to see not just the physical realm in which we find ourselves every day, but we are beseeching Yahweh himself to allow us to glimpse the spiritual realm. And that's why, hark, listen, the herald angels see. The angels do not merely sing, they see, for angels are watchers. Angels watch with bated breath and keen interest the affairs of humanity, and that's because angels have been created for a very particular reason. Clay already revealed it to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 14. The writer asks a question, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Of course they are. Angels exist for the purpose of ministering to those who will inherit salvation. And who are those? Human beings made in God's image. Yes, God, Yahweh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the perfect being who has always been. And out of his great triune love comes creation. And the very pinnacle of creation, yes, are human beings. For we are made in God's image. We are endowed with rationality and creativity and the ability to give and receive love and relationships with will and decision-making prowess. Yes, but we are not the only ones made that have certain abilities. God has also made angels. And the same author of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 7 says, yes, the angels are higher than humans. Humans are made a little bit lower than the angels. And so the ontological pecking order goes God, who's infinite and perfect. Angels, and then humans. Angels are very special and important because they also are given will, but they are not made in the image of God. They're not made in the image of God the way that human beings are, and that means salvation will not be for them. Angels are all in or not in at all. Angels are not created with spirit and body as are we. We who are made in the image of God are endowed not just with a soul, a spirit, a mind that is similar to God's, but he has created us with corporeal form. Angels do not have corporeal form, and yet angels are higher than us in two particular ways. They're very, very intelligent and they're very, very powerful. The reason that angels are so intelligent is not just because they exist inside the spiritual realm and not merely the physical realm. You are limited by your body. Your redeemed soul is limited by your body. Your mind can only use what your brain can work with. And so we who live in fallen, sinful, human flesh are incapable because our body inherently governs and limits what our soul can do. That's why we long for a resurrection body. Angels are not so limited. Angels have full access to the spiritual realm, for that is the realm in which they abode, and they see what God has done. But not only that, angels are never described as ever being born or dying. They are described as being created. Angels cannot be separated from their body and therefore do not experience the first death in the way we do. The number of angels, according to Scripture, seems to be fixed. God made a number of angels, many, many of them. And he made them before the earth even took form. 
And angels have been around watching. In fact, the word watcher is one of the words that's used to describe the angels, and that's exactly what they do. They watch. They pay attention. And the reason that they are so intelligent is because they've seen humanity. They've studied and observed us, and they've seen us fall. They've seen us be redeemed. And they have paid keen attention to the redemptive arc of human beings made in God's image. After all, their created purpose is to minister unto us to proclaim. In fact, that's what the word angel means, messenger, proclaimer. The word angel literally means messenger. And so when somebody carries a message from God to humanity, that's an angel. Now, when somebody carries a message to God from humanity, from the spiritual realm to the physical realm, that's what we think of when we think of angel, angel. Oh, yes, angels. Angels are real. Angels exist to serve us, and angels cannot be seen, but they are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly powerful. They're stronger. Angels are sort of like superheroes of the spiritual realm. They're described as being able to fly with remarkable intelligence, incredible power, and yet they exist to serve humanity. Angels are very, very important. And so what I'd like to do is read our text this morning. I'd like for you to read it with me. In fact, what I'd love for you to do is stand with me for the reading of Scripture this morning. I know we've been up and down, but if you're able, would you stand for the reading of Scripture? For today, we are going to explore one of my very favorite Christmas texts. Follow along on the screen behind me, and when I am through, you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to him, a son, a male child, who will, quote, rule the nations, all the nations, with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then... War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of Yahweh and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, the woman who was given, 
Uh, Then the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time and times and half a time and out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This might not strike you as a particularly traditional Christmas text. You may have thought that I was going to read Matthew 1 or Matthew 2, the coming of the Magi, or Luke chapter 1, the declaration to Elizabeth and Zechariah that they would have John the Baptist, or to Mary that she would conceive a son, or Luke chapter 2, the great decree from Caesar Augustus, and the trail of Joe and Mary to Bethlehem. No, no, no. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is the springboard that we need so that we can hark, listen, the herald angels see. What is it that the angels see? What is it that they see when they view what is going on here? Well, Revelation chapter 12 helps us to explore an awful lot about Christmas. In chapter 12, verse 1, is first described a great sign. Now, anytime you want to interpret the book of Revelation, you must understand that Revelation is a series of five visions that the Apostle John is given while on the island of Patmos. He's the youngest and now oldest, youngest uh, born and now oldest of all the disciples, all the apostles left for all the rest have been killed. And now he finds himself exiled and the Lord Jesus appears to him and reveals a series of visions unto him. And yet, Revelation is not like a regular gospel. It's not like a regular narrative. It is an apocalyptic piece of literature that does not merely predict the future. It gives us a view to the divine. It helps us see what angels see. They are very keen to look into matters regarding our salvation. They long to look into these matters. And this is a slight glimpse of what angels get to see. And so in Revelation chapter 12, first is a great sign. A great sign, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown on her head with 12 stars. Who is this woman? Now, Since I'm reading this in the context of Christmas, your mind is automatically thinking, it's Mary. It's got to be Mary. Yes, it is Mary. You're absolutely right. It is Mary. And so here she is, clothed with the sun. She's pregnant, in pain, and about to give birth. And there was another sign, according to Revelation 12, verse 3, an enormous red dragon, replete with seven heads, seven crowns, and ten horns. Now, have you ever wondered why the devil gets pitched as red? It's because of Revelation chapter 12. This is the only time in scripture that you see the color red being directly associated with the devil here. The reason that you see him as red is because of the enormous red dragon. And so every time I look at Clark's Little Fisher Price nativity set, I see a conspicuous absence of a seven-headed red dragon that's enormous. (laughs) They never make that, and I don't understand In fact, I lobbied for an enormous red dragon to be on stage today, but they said, no, we want to make it reverent and beautiful and Christmassy. And I said, nothing more Christmassy than a red dragon ready to devour. And I said, no, no, just talk about it. 
We don't, we, we don't need to see a giant red dragon up here. That's because nobody wants a red dragon in their nativity set. Yet, he's there. He's there, but we just see with physical eyes. With the spiritual eyes, he is there, ready to devour in fact, that's exactly what it says. Verse 4 says that with his tail, he swept out a third of the stars from the sky. And he was waiting to devour her child. He wants to eat the male child. And in verse 5, we're told that she gave birth to a son, a male child. And then we get a quote from Psalm 9, or Psalm 2, verse 9, rather. And this seals the deal. Who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter? Gee, who's the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter? It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. And so if this lady who's about to give birth is going to give birth to a male child that will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, it is very clearly and obviously Jesus. And so that means it is very clearly and obviously Mary. And so Psalm 2, verse 9 is there. And then the child was born and snatched up to God and to his throne. And verse 6 tells us that the woman fled to the wilderness, to a place prepared by God so that she could be taken care of. Oh, okay. All right, so we've got this great Christmas scene. And then something spectacular happens. Verse 7 comes about. And verse 7 has a very poorly translated first word in English, then, because that seems to give us chronology. But the book of Revelation is never, never meant to be taken in a linear chronological fashion. It is always meant to be taken as what it was intended originally to be, apocalyptic literature. And it is a series of cyclical visions in which we see very important things happening. So don't be confused by the very first word of verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. The then is not actually referring to events that take place after Jesus' birth. It is, and by it I mean Revelation chapter 12, is an angel-eye view of the events of humanity. The war that broke out in heaven predated Adam and Eve, continues during the time of Jesus on earth, and is waged even to this day right now. I know that because I read the very last verse, 17. We know that this war goes on, and there is a war. There is most definitely a war raging in heaven, but make no mistake about it, God's sitting this one out. He's not going to condescend himself to get involved physically. He won't do it. You know what God does? God says, Michael, archangel, I want you to take on the devil. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to give the devil the satisfaction of actually fighting me. He's a created being, and I am the uncreated God of the universe. I am Yahweh. He is a created cherub. In fact, angels have three primary designations in Scripture. There's angels generally, and then there's a group called seraphim, the seraphs, and they're known as the burning ones, according to the book of Isaiah. And so they are the ones who burn with passion for God, and they praise God continually, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is separate. Yahweh is separate. So when a particular angel a cherub, a cherub is another sort of angel. The cherubs are the one who have the flaming swords who guard the Garden of Eden and won't let Adam and Eve back in after their sin. When a particular cherub named Lucifer Morningstar decides to get a little big for his britches and decides to have pride enough to become God himself, he's kicked out. 
There are only three named angels in all of Scripture, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Lucifer goes on to become the devil because every demon who's ever been is just an angel who went bad. This is one of the reasons that angels aren't made in the image of God. You and I can repent regularly. Angels cannot. Angels are all in or not in at all. And once they go bad, they stay bad. There's no ability for an angel to repent, for there is no redemption available for an angel, for the only way that one can be redeemed is if God becomes one of us. We who are made in the image of God are able to be saved because God becomes man to die for mankind. Angels who are not made in the image of God can never be saved because because God can never become an angel to die for angel kind. Angels are out of luck if they are out of line. And the devil is out of luck. There is no salvation available to him or to any of his fallen angels who go along with his foolhardy notion that he's something special. God will not give him the satisfaction. Yahweh will not give him the satisfaction of tussling with him. And so, there are a rank of angels called archangels. Michael is among them. He's the prince of the angels. He's one of the highest levels of angel. And so God says, you get to fight him. You take him on. I don't want the devil to think that he can actually wage war against me. So as a created falling, fallen being, I will send a created loyal being to do battle with him. And the Bible describes them doing battle in the book of Daniel and refers to it in the book of Jude and now here in the book of Revelation. And what's very cool and interesting is that Michael holds a 3-0 record against that fool, the devil. I love it. Michael does not back down. And he fights and that fight is recorded. But remember, it's not just chronological. It's the fight that happened before the fall of Adam and Eve. It's the fight that occurred during the book of Daniel. It's the fight that happened at the time of Jesus. It's the fight that happens right to this day. War. War. Angels serve those who will inherit salvation by proclaiming. That's what the word angel means. After all, it is a messenger. And so Gabriel, the primary messenger angel, says lots of stuff on behalf of God. Michael, the primary warrior angel, fights the devil on our behalf. And all of the angels minister to us in various ways. They're very concerned with our morality. They're very concerned that we would accept God Almighty. They're very concerned that we don't accidentally worship them. In fact, every single time an angel shows up in Scripture, when you get to see him with your physical eyes, people fall down and start to worship. They're afraid. No, 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 don't worship me. I'm merely a created being just like yourself. You only worship Yahweh. And I believe that one of the reasons that most of us are not given eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see angels is because we'd be very tempted to worship them. And that's why angels can just blend in so beautifully. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, you may have entertained angels unaware. You don't even know. God might let a little kid see an angel God might let Elisha's servant see the angels. God might let you see an angel. But only if he knows you're not going to be tempted to worship them. That's why you don't get to see them. And yet they are there. There are angels in this room literally right now. That's what they do. They are here to serve us. And yet we so often do not even consider them. But they are here to help wage war on our behalf. Jesus, when he came to earth, was made a little bit lower than the angels, for he took on human flesh temporarily. But according to 1 John 3.8, he came to destroy the works of the devil. 
And so even though Michael is able to hurl down that great dragon from the heavens, only Jesus can win back people made in his image for himself. And so the war raged on. The war continued, but Michael was stronger. The devil wasn't strong enough, and his place was kicked out. Jesus, he, he knows about this, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. And this is, of course, recorded also in Scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, where the devil is described as the king of Babylon. He's described as the king of Babylon because Babylon was the primary bad guy of the day. And so you might think that Satan came in and, and indwelt and possessed the king of Babylon, but it's actually more likely just indicative of the king of Babylon as a reference to the devil. And Isaiah 14 describes his fall. But so does the scriptural chapter of Ezekiel 28. And this time the devil is described as the king of Tyre. This time Tyre is the main bad guy of the time. And so the devil is seen in play of those who are the main bad guy. Babylon, Tyre, in the time of Jesus' day, Rome. We see this again and again and again. And so the fall happened The fall of Satan actually happened before the creation of Adam and Eve. And the very first lie that was ever made was made by the devil. For he is not pleased. He's not pleased at all. Well, in verse 9, it tells us that that great dragon was hurled down. And here we get descriptions and we know exactly that it is the devil because he's described as the ancient serpent, the devil, the great dragon, and Satan. All four descriptors in one verse And he always leads the whole world astray. And he's cast down. Now verse 10 shifts. And verse 10 now has a voice from heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of Yahweh. Yes, and the authority of his Messiah. You see, the Messiah, the one who will be sent by God, who is God, to save God's people made in God's image, he has authority Our accuser has been hurled down and those who follow the Messiah in verse 11 have triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death, but willingly embraced it. You see, the blood of the lamb is the ultimate defeat of the accuser. For the only power that the accuser, the devil has, is to try to trick you into sinning and then making you feel really bad once you've sinned. He accuses people day and night over and over, but our accuser has no power. He has no power remaining. And we know for sure that the dragon is the devil, that the child is Jesus, and so we know that the woman must be Mary, but the woman is not merely Mary. Do you know how I know that? Because in verse 12, it tells us to rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, The dragon is filled with fury, for he knows his time is short. And then in verse 13, it tells us that he pursued the woman. He pursued the woman. But in verse 14, we learn that the woman was given the wings of eagles and brought to safety. Now, you know who else was given the wings of eagles? The nation of Israel. In the book of uh, Exodus, chapter 19, verse 4, Yahweh himself speaks through Moses and says to the people, you remember how I led you out of Israel on eagle's wings. 
Yahweh's protection is described as eagle's wings. So when the woman is given eagle wings, that gives us a clue to her identity. This woman is Israel. Israel is the one who will have the baby. Israel is the one who will have the Messiah. The Messiah will come from Israel. So the woman is both Mary and the entire nation of Israel. You know what else has two eagle wings on it? The Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's very presence, has cherub eagle wings right on it because eagle wings are indicative of salvation for Israel. The woman is not just Mary. The woman is also Israel. But what happens is that he is so enraged, this crazy serpent, that in verse 14 he spits out a river, but the water does not get him because there is only one who has streams of living water and he is merely, the devil is merely a facsimile of him. And then we get to verse 17. Enraged, the dragon went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. Now, who is the woman? The woman is Eve. The woman is Eve. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the very first prophecy in all of scripture, we understand that Yahweh himself said, I'm going to put enmity Hatred and animosity, warfare between you, speaking to the devil, and the offspring of the woman. And speaking to the devil, he says, you will strike the offspring of the woman's heel, but he will crush your head. Oh, if, if the dragon goes off to wage war and enmity against the offspring of the woman, the woman is Eve. And that's what the book of Revelation does. The book of Revelation is not merely interpreted in one and only one way, for it is apocalyptic literature. The great sign, the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, is Israel, is Mary, is Eve. And we know that because of all the scriptural indicators. For Mary comes from Israel. Israel comes from Eve. And enmity is between the offspring of the woman, who is not just Eve's literal biological children, all who are in her line. And is not just Israel and those who are of the spiritual nation of Israel, but very particularly Mary also. And the offspring of Mary is Jesus Christ himself. Yahweh saves who is the Messiah. And all who worship him are hated by our enemy, the devil. And he's been playing the same tricks from the beginning, accusing and lying and murdering. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He accuses, he twists, he deceives. Did God really say? He takes the truth of God and spins it in just such a crafty way that people will be blinded to the truth he will accuse us of being so awful that God could never love us. And yet, God demonstrated his own love for this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The lies of the devil, the accusations of the serpent, the craftiness of the accuser, the works of the seven-headed, enormous red dragon are nothing compared to the works of Yahweh saves, God Almighty, God in the flesh. In fact, the works of that ancient serpent, that accuser, Satan, the devil, that red dragon himself, can't even stand against the works of the created angels. For Michael 
and his angels defeat the dragon and his in battle regularly. But that battle rages on. It continues even to this day. It looks very different today because the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And the wool has been pulled over the eyes of many in this world. In fact, according to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we understand that those who are blind to the spiritual reality are blinded by the God of this age, the dragon of this world. Woe to those of us who are on the earth and in the sea because he knows his time is short and he's furious. But he's not entirely stupid. The best way to demonstrate his fury is just to blind you. If he can just blind you by news, if he can just blind you by the game, if he can just blind you by the stock market or by the tragedies around the world or by the tragedies in your own life, if he can just blind you to the spiritual realities and get your mind on something else, I know you're awfully hungry. Gee, this sermon's long. Are we going to beat the Baptists to the buffet? What? If you just start thinking about something else, then he's got you. He doesn't have to wage war in the physical sense, because after all, angels and demons are not inherently physical. He can just try to whisper in your ear, did God really say that, that you had to do this or do that? And he'll lie and he'll twist and he'll obfuscate. And he'll change and he'll deceive and he'll slick-tonguedly change the word of God in just such a way that you must make sure you stand on the truth. You can never merely take my word for it, though I hope my word is good. You must always check every day to see if what I say matches with scripture. You must be like the church in Berea recorded in Acts 17, for if you don't, it would be far too easy for you to have wool pulled over your eyes. Glendale will never be a congregation that merely takes my word for it. We will ever be a congregation that will look to God's word for it. That's the truth. And that's the main way that the ministering spirits help us. They point us to the truth. They point us to the truth. Now, when you have entertained an angel without even knowing it, he's pointed you to the truth in some way. These angels who fight for you are here to help. After all, there are evil forces afoot in this world. This is the devil's playground. And rather than merely playing for a hedge of protection, have you ever prayed for a hedge of perfection? Don't do that. Pray for an angel army wall. Pray for a wall of warrior angels to surround you. Because even though the Holy Spirit indwells you, the enemy does not. The enemy is right here on your shoulder whispering, chirping, convincing, lying, accusing, deceiving. And sometimes we don't like to listen to the still small voice which indwells us. Sometimes we need an external voice. Not because that external voice is more powerful, it's far less powerful. But sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit within. Sometimes we lie to the Holy Spirit within. Sometimes we fail to keep in step with the Holy Spirit within, and so sometimes what we need is the voice of a friend, a fellow human who will talk to us, and sometimes what we need is the little chirping reminder of the angels saying, you know why Jesus came. Don't do that. Don't listen to that lie. Look back to the word of God. Listen to the truth that is within you. God himself 
God took on human flesh so that he could die on your behalf and now he indwells your flesh. Do not defile him. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not listen to the voices. Do not listen to the voices that will pretend they do not even exist. Peer through to the divine and see what we see. Hear what we hear. Know what we know. Receive what we cannot receive. And in so doing, assume your place as even higher than the angels. For both positionally and experientially, we are now superior to they, for we are filled and redeemed. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed by Yahweh saves, and the angels exist to minister unto us. Don't turn a blind eye to the work of the angels. Sometimes God will use his word, sometimes his presence, and sometimes his people. But those people don't always have to be human people. They might be divine, angelic people. This is the word of the Lord. So next week, when we turn to the more traditional texts of Christmas, and we look to Matthew 1, and we look to Luke 1, and we think about, oh, the regular Christmas season. And when you see the trees, and when you see all the decorations and the nativities, don't ever forget that even though you do not see the dragon, he is there. And even though they do not put him in the little kid nativity set, he is always there. Do not forget that his work goes without end until the end. And do not forget that the work of Michael, Gabriel, and all the other unnamed angels continues to the end as well. For they serve Yahweh's interests and we are Yahweh's interest. Would you stand with me as we pray?